welcome to Shameless, pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You are joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hi, Zara. Hi, Annabelle. Hi, guys. Hi, hi. Coming up on today's show, Britney Spears' memoir is finally out in the world. So what are the key takeaways from one of the most anticipated books of the last year? Plus, Sophia Bush has reportedly moved on with a former soccer star and, well, where do we start with the drama around that one? Then, Rebecca Luz isn't happy with the David Beckham documentary and Meryl Streep's marriage also falls victim to 2023, but actually it was... 2017. We'll get to that later. But first, Michelle, how was your week? It was a good week. I'm excited. When you read out that intro, I realised we're like half celebrity, half soccer this week, which I'm stoked about. We've got the Sophia Bush soccer potential affair story and then David Beckham's back. We go half celeb, half soccer. Half celeb, (laughs) half soccer. Speaking of soccer... I have a soccer recommendation. You have a soccer recommendation? Well, yeah, it's the Wagatha Christie documentary on Disney+. Plus. Oh, no way. Yeah. yeah. Of course, this is one of our favourite celebrity stories we've covered Ever. while on Shameless. It is about the time that Colleen Rooney publicly accused Rebecca Vardy, another soccer wag, of leaking stories about her to the Sun tabloid newspaper. I think it's four episodes. It could have been three, if not two. (laughs) It's quite bloated. Right. But if you want something that you can just put on, enjoy, have a little bit of juicy drama, bit of juicy gossip, watch this on Disney+. Plus. Am I right in thinking that Colleen Rooney and Wayne Rooney also talk about his affairs? A little bit? I wish they did it more. Right. They talk about one instance where he was caught in a car with another woman and he was heavily intoxicated behind the wheel. And that story is actually what set off the wheels in motion for the Rebecca Vardy thing. So they had to talk about that right. instance. But it's the kind of thing that makes you Google Wayne Rooney and right. the shenanigans he might have gotten up to <laughs> in that marriage. What a good word. Shenanigans. <laughs> and yeah, it's an interesting deep dive when you Google Wayne Rooney and all of that stuff. But I just really found this interesting. Mitch watched along with some of it as well. I think all shameless listeners will at least get a bit of enjoyment out of it. I need to watch that so badly. What about you? How was your week? I had a good week. I went out to dinner last night and we're at that point in the dinner where, you know, all the all the food had been eaten, the dessert had been eaten. You know, that sort of, I think it needs a name, that period post-food, pre-exit. And, <laughs> Did and you turn the lights off? Sort of, well, yeah, I have said on the podcast before when people come to my house, namely my family, I just don't turn the lights on when it gets dark to get people yeah. out. But at dinner, I was like laughing to myself thinking, I love this period of dinner so much. Who's going to say it first? (laughs) Who's going to say on a weeknight, let's get the bill? And I realised last night, there's a question that a lot of people will ask pre-asking for the bill. And it's the same question. And yes, I want you to guess. And I realised everyone does it in social scenarios midweek at dinner in order to signify the dinner's over. Uh, what are you doing tomorrow? What are you doing tomorrow? What are you doing on the weekend? What's yes, on for us the week? saying, this is done. done? Tell, Tell me, me quickly about the future. And the present is over. over. <laughs> exactly. It is the same question. Because Ollie always said to me, my partner, you will always ask, I know you're over the dinner the minute you say, so what's on tomorrow? He's like, we're out of this. <laughs> my friend last night, Alex, did it to me. He was like, so what's on tomorrow? And I was like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, 
And I thought, this is the thing, the unspoken period that no one speaks about and the unspoken question that no one's acknowledged. Now, the issue with me bringing it to the table here is I'm now going to be unable to use it when I go out to dinner tonight. Well, I was going to say, you sometimes start conversations with me by asking me that question. What does that mean? It's <laughs> already done. It's already done. I was you, out Annabelle. of there when I arrived. So, uh, post food pre exit, the PFPE. Yeah, that really awkward. <laughs> and, there's, and everyone's finished their drinks. No one's ordering a new one, but no one wants to be the one to say, I'm done here. You um, are exceptional as well when it comes to cutting something where it should be yeah. cut. Well, You're amazing. Sometimes I'll be talking and you'll be like, shh. No, I just, I just want to leave things sometimes. I like an exit. Anyway, so that was my week. That was just on my mind. I have two quick recommendations as well. Very different kinds of recommendations. Not soccer? No, not soccer. The first is a book. It is one of the better books I've read in the last sort of few months. It is Demon Copperhead. Everybody's probably seen it around by Barbara Kingsolver. Have you guys seen it around? I have seen it on Zoe Foster Blake's Instagram story. Yes, it has been recommended everywhere. I saw it all over my TikTok and I thought, this is a book I've got to read. I really enjoyed it, but it was heavy and I actually kind of got through it a bit slower than I would other books. If some of our listeners read Bodies of Light after I recommended that book a little while ago, which I said was sort of, you know, sad, but really fascinating and beautifully put together as a story, they will love this book. If you are not into big, fat, often sad hard reads <laughs> this will not be for you so i'll skip that and keep watching real housewives <laughs> you, I, we were talking about this book and you're like it's not for me is it and i said i don't know if it is <laughs> i tried to recommend a little life i tried to recommend bodies of light you haven't picked up those two i don't know if you're going to pick up demon copperhead but it is like it won the women's prize it won the pulitzer wow. prize like it's incredible but it's not too dense guys i okay. think you can get really stressed when you see an award-winning book to be like well, I do anyway. Am I going to understand what this is about? <laughs> yeah. But it's beautifully put together. How many tears were shed as you read it? Did I, you cry a lot? No. But there was a point in the book where, I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but it's about a young kid whose parents aren't around. So he's kind of going between foster care and things like that. And there was a point where he hit another hurdle and I thought, oh, I can't take another hurdle. I need <laughs> no, to put this book no. down for a little bit. I needed to rest because yeah. I just wanted... Happiness. I wanted a bit more happiness, but I loved it. So that's my first recommendation. My second recommendation is do not sleep on Christmas ham pre-Christmas. If you celebrate (laughs) Christmas and you love Christmas ham, I was away on a girls weekend last weekend and I flew in Sunday night and my partner said, what would you like me to cook for your arrival? And I said, I would like a Christmas ham. (laughs) And that's what he did. We have a foolproof, I would say idiot proof recipe. It's not ours. It's from Gordon Ramsay that we use every single year. I'm pretty sure I sent it to you last year, Mish. You told me to make it. I made it. My whole family was delighted. I'm making the ham again this it's, year. It is just the best recipe. I have to say, if you read the recipe, you'll read the ingredients and think, what is she talking about? This looks complicated. The ingredients can sound a bit pretentious, but you can also use substitutes of the ingredients. Mm. So if you don't know what something is, just Google easy substitute if you can't find it. You can be flexed with it. You do also have to boil the ham first. Oh so dear, it sound, I will not be making it. I promise you it sounds <laughs> It's worth it, Annabelle. It's the best Christmas ham. And and I am firmly of the belief that a good baked ham should be a biannual celebration. Mm, so mine yes. was in October. I'm glad you've brought this up now because one of the alcohols you need to use for this recipe to be like by the book, 
I think you mostly need to order it online. I went around to stores oh, over the it. Christmas period. It was sold out it's, everywhere. It's, it's pretty neat. Madeira. It's Madeira. Yeah. yeah. But you can also just go to the Bottolo and get like a fortified wine. So yes. this is yes, which is what I did in the yes. end. Yes. Yep. So you can don't feel too stressed about dotting your eyes and crossing your teeth. Just get as close to it as you can, and you'll have a beautiful ham. And if you want one before Christmas, do it. You know what? I will make it. Will you? Yeah. No, no you I will won't. do it on the weekend. Trust me, I'm going to do it on the weekend. I'm just not a very good cook, so that's okay. You'll and be fine. I here's think. the thing: we've now got toasties. We've now got stock mm. to use for a soup because you, this kind of creates a stock. We're also going to make a pea and ham soup. The the possibilities are endless. They really are. Annabelle, if you make some, can you bring me some to the office? I'll bring lunch for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so they're my two recommendations. Gordon Ramsay's recipe, Damon Copperhead, as I said, opposite ends of the spectrum. I love that. Hey, before we get into the quick and dirty, a quick shout out to our girl Annabelle. Your Yay! fourth season of Everybody Has a Secret is launching tomorrow. And I know we say this every season, but honestly, this is the biggest, most exciting season we've recorded yeah. so far. It was, it's a real hoot. Real, I would it's say. A real hoot. Yeah, it's real a real hoot. hoot. The secrets will continuously blow us away. <laughs> Mia Shui, um, again, produced this season. So we have the privilege of going through the inbox <laughs> and reading through people's secrets. And you guys then, are holding on to some shit. And then surprising <laughs> you with them on mic. Yeah. And it is hard for you because sometimes we'll want to, like, exclaim about something in the office and say, sorry, Annabelle, you can't be across this. <laughs> One time Zara tried to explain something to me in, like, the most basic terms and it just wasn't I making was trying sense. to tell her about a secret in code because I needed to share it with someone, but she was like, this is not making any sense. Actually, it was the secret that we're running tomorrow on Friday, the one we're launching season four with. So I'm excited for you all to listen to it. And we've got some new faces on board yes. in the co-hosting chair. I cannot wait for our listeners to find out who they are. Mm. Whole array of people. Yeah. Got. Ten weeks of secrets, baby. Yeah. Ten weeks of gossip. Gossip. Yeah. What we love. Exactly right. If you need a bit of sugar in your life, everybody has a secret. Friday morning. Yeah. On that note, shall we dive into the quick and dirty? Let's do it. Zara, ham lover McDonald. No, I will take that. <laughs> you can use that every week. If you <laughs> what have you got for us? All right. Our first story. I felt like I was being ritually tortured. The most shocking moments in Britney Spears' memoir, that is from The Guardian. Mm. Of course, our listeners will know Britney's memoir, The Woman in Me, has hit bookstores today, the day we are recording, and there's a bit to unpack, Mish. There is a bit to unpack. We're going to run you through some of the key takeaways from the memoir. We won't be able to touch upon everything. It is 280-something pages, and we've had to whip through a lot of this stuff this morning because it's come out on the day we are recording this episode. So we're going to take you through some of the bigger moments. I find it very interesting that she claimed she started drinking at the age of 13. She grew up with an alcoholic father, and her mother actually got her into drinking cocktails really young. She also was driving the family car around this yeah. time as well. There's a bizarre scene where she's driving the family car. Her baby sister is in the back, not in a proper car seat. And her mum's in the passenger seat. So like Brittany, as a small teenager, like 13, 14 years old, was driving the family around. They have a car accident on one day while Brittany's behind the wheel and Jamie wasn't properly strapped in. It's just like a bit of a chaotic and stressful picture, I think, of childhood. I think it also eerily foreshadows some of the stories we saw about Brittany later on in her life where her children were maybe on her lap or not strapped in properly when she was driving them around and then the tabloid media 
made a field day out of those kind of photos. Yeah, exactly right. It is a strange sense of like foreboding Mm. maybe when it comes to those sort of situations that she describes as a kid. As you mentioned, Mish, she also spoke about drinking with her mum as a young teen and spoke about how she felt like that's when they bonded. She said, we called our cocktails toddies. I loved that I was able to drink with my mum every now and then. The way we drank was nothing like how my father did it. When he drank, he grew more depressed and shut down. We became happier, more alive and more adventurous. Yeah, she also naturally spoke a lot about her relationship with Justin Timberlake Back when she and Justin were an item, the tabloid media had speculated that there was maybe an inappropriate relationship that Britney had with her choreographer, Wade Robson, and she touched upon that in this book as well. Yeah, 100%. So she admitted that she made out with Wade while they were together. She wrote, We were out one night and we went to a Spanish bar. We danced and danced. I made out with him that night. I was loyal to Justin for years, only had eyes for him with that one exception, which I admitted to him. That night was chalked up to something that will happen when you're as young as we were and Justin and I moved past it and stayed together. Mm. Which brings us to what Brittany says Justin got up to when they were in this highly publicised relationship. She says he cheated on her and quite a bit. She wrote, (laughs) there were a couple of times during our relationship when I knew Justin had cheated on me, especially because I was so infatuated and so in love, I let it go, even though the tabloids seemed determined to rub it in my face. There were rumours about him with various dancers and groupies. I let it all go, but clearly he'd slept around. It was one of those things where you know, but you don't say anything. It's a really interesting line from her telling this story or it's really interesting narrative because of course as we spoke about last week the story that Justin was telling in the wake of their breakup was basically Britney cheated on me in not so many words he Mm. would do interviews and say oh she's a fire son or sign or whatever it is (laughs) sorry very nice uh yeah sure um (laughs) we're talking about astrology (laughs) I was playing along at home he also said she makes very impulsive decisions do with that what you will. Yeah, he says I like she knows why the relationship ended. Yeah, so he was very heavily hinting that there was something that she did and the relationship fell apart. She says, yes, I kissed someone, but we stayed together after it and moved through it. Mm. And by the way, he was cheating on me quite a bit as well. Now, on that idea that Justin was shaming her post-breakup publicly, happy to talk a lot about their relationship, happy to, as we also mentioned last week, have a, I guess, almost a Britney body double in the Mm. Crimea River film clip. She said, I don't think Justin realised the power he had in shaming me. I don't think he understands to this day. Fascinating. That's one of the most searing quotes to me. I don't think he understands to this day because I think Justin Timberlake's the kind of character that's made a lot of mistakes in his career and it's taken him years and years and years and years to apologise for them. But if it's going to take you years and years and years to apologise for them, do you actually believe in the apology? Mm. And I think she's turning around saying, no, I, I don't think he gets it even now. Yeah, I found that fascinating as well. What I also found surprising, perhaps, was that Britney's actually semi-grateful for some of the ways Justin spoke about her. She hated, it seems like anyway, to my reading of some of these quotes, she hated the way he typecast her as the cheater, as the reason their relationship ended. But she did like the fact that he spoke about her as a woman, not a girl, that he spoke about her sometimes sexually because she says that she felt 
minimized or shoved into a box by her management that she wasn't able to be sexual and be mature. She wrote, to be honest with you, I liked that Justin said that, as in spoke about her sexuality. Why did my managers work so hard to claim I was some kind of young girl virgin, even into my 20s? Whose business was it if I'd had sex or not? Yeah, how bizarre. And she was quite free in talking about the sex she was having as a teenager. She said she lost her virginity when she was 14 to an older brother's friend Mm. and was very happy to have that conversation. And from all reports, couldn't really understand where this virgin narrative came from beyond her management wanting to put her in a box, as you said. Now, I think the other thing that became quite clear throughout this book in certain parts, particularly when she spoke about Justin Timberlake, but also Kevin Federlan, is maybe the sassiness. Like she sort of spoke about them and the occasional embarrassing thing that they did with a bit of sassiness, I would say. It was not all doom and gloom. She makes some comments about moments where Justin Timberlake embarrassed her and was a bit of a tryhard. She also wrote this about Kevin Federline's failed foray into like fame. She wrote, he really thought he was a rapper now. Bless his heart, because he did take it so seriously. <laughs> Bless his heart. I also love, she writes about having a lot of sex with Colin Farrell. She rocked up to Colin Farrell's movie set, wow. found him really hot, decided she wanted to go there, rocked up to the movie set, and they started sleeping together for like two or three weeks. She worded it in like such an interesting way that they grappled so passionately at each other for like two or three months. <laughs> I love it though, Slay. A hundred percent. Now, I think there was also a really fascinating review in The Guardian about the memoir where journalist Laura Snapes made note of how horrifying it is as a reader to read the details of Britney's conservatorship. Laura wrote this, no matter how much we already know about the 13 years that Britney lived under conservatorship, her recounting of its imposition, life under it, and her inability to escape it is nothing short of a horror story. It is appalling, like something out of a Victorian novel, not the very real experiences of a 30-something in the last decade. Mm, Some of the details about this conservatorship were, I mean, we knew so many of them, but it's still so sobering to see it listed back to back. She wrote about being put on lithium against her will, about being kept away from her kids, not even being able to shut her own bedroom door, even in instances where she was just naked or trying to get changed. She also wrote about mandatory blood testing. Of that, she said, the tech drawing my blood would be flanked by the nurse, a security guard, and my assistant. Was I a cannibal? Was I a bank robber? Was I a wild animal? Why was I treated as though I was about to burn the place down and murder them all? I began to feel like I was being ritually tortured. If the idea of my being in that place was to heal, that was not the effect. Yeah, as you said, so sobering to read it from her experience Mm. now I think so many people have spoken about this on her behalf Mm. so I think for her to be able to tell her story in her words is what makes this memoir so powerful now yeah guys coming up after the break soccer stuff (laughs) (laughs) all the soccer (laughs) but first a word from today's sponsor Second story, Sophia Bush posing, laughing and flirting with Ashlyn Harris months before divorce. That is from TMZ. Alrighty, everyone. We're going to need you to cast your minds back to very early August because that is when news broke that One Tree Hill star Sophia Bush had filed for divorce from her husband of one year, 
Grant Hughes, Zara. Yeah, and at the time, we were confused. The divorce headlines came just weeks after they'd posted these pretty emphatic, gushing mm. posts about each other to celebrate their one-year anniversary. It was essentially like, we've never been more in love. I can't wait for the rest of my life with you. And so we naturally started asking questions. We were confused. I think, though, <laughs> turns out we may have been barking up the wrong tree, as, as some may say. We were asking a lot of questions. It turns out we may have been asking all of the wrong ones. We're going to play you a snippet of how we wrapped our Sophia Bush Grant Hughes divorce story back in August. I'm nervous. I just feel it in me waters. This story is not done. It can't be done. Something has to have gone so cataclysmically wrong in my mind. And we are going to find out about it. Also, when you have her friends come out on social media and support, I always find that interesting. Hillary yes. Burton, someone tweeted, I would walk through fire for this woman with a, with a photo of... Sophia Bush, and she just retweeted that saying, same, with a kiss emoji. And I was like, what do you want us to know? What is going on? Like, I'm ride or die for Sophia Bush after doing the episode on her and Chad Michael Murray. I feel like Chad was not the best husband. So if I feel like that has happened a second time around, I will be quite upset. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought Grant Hughes had maybe had an affair. Uh, well, I mean, I think, I think that's what we were trying to say. <laughs> I don't think he did. I mean, I don't know what happened, but we need to have a chat about what's been happening in the last week or so. Yes, there has been a spanner in this story, and the spanner is a woman called Ashlyn Harris. Now, it's become pretty clear that Sophia Bush and Ashlyn Harris are probably dating, and both women are very recently single. Ashlyn Harris is a retired American soccer star who has won two World Cups, until very recently, she was in a relationship with a fellow soccer star named Ellie Krieger. They've actually been together for 13 years. For the record, Ellie has had an even more illustrious soccer career than Ashlyn Harris. She's actually regarded as one of the best defense players in the sport. These two, so Ashlyn and Ellie, got together in 2010 and they have been something of women's soccer royalty. They have well over a million followers between them. They've done, if you look on YouTube, they're the kind of couple in America that are asked to go on these YouTube channels and do couples quizzes together and kind of, you know, really make their relationship a public talking point. They had a couple name that fans referred to them by. It was Crashlin. In 2019, they got married. They've got two kids together. They are, they were as public and as cemented as you can be. Yeah, which is why everyone became so shocked when Ashlyn and Sophia were connected. So let's outline what the tabloids were reporting on this week because Sophia has been friendly with Ashlyn and Ali for years. For context, Sophia Bush is very involved, has been very involved in women's soccer. She's actually an investor in one of the teams, Angel City, with Natalie Portman, I think. Now, there are screenshots doing the rounds online that show Sophia Bush saying congrats to them both when they got married. She left a comment on an Instagram post about them becoming parents. Sources close to both women say they've been running in the same circles for years. Yes. According to tabloid gossip. Sophia and Ashlyn became particularly close over the American slash European summer. So in June, they both appeared on a panel at Cannes. It was all about the future of women's sport. And a lot of media publications are now digging up photos of them at that panel 
where they just look like they're getting along really well. They're touching each other. They're laughing. They're taking selfies together. As far as the rumors are concerned, of course, we don't know this is fact. The rumors suggest it was on that trip in Khan together that Sophia Bush and Ashlyn Harris maybe became more than friends. Yeah, well, a source told the Daily Mail, apparently Ashlyn came back right after Khan and ended their marriage and said there was nothing to even speak about regarding it. Just over. So they reportedly split. Ashlyn and Ali reportedly split in June, July. We know that Sophia and Grant split around the same time. Sophia filed in early August. Ashlyn filed on September 19. Now, as the media was piecing all this together and TikTok sleuths were doing their TikTok sleuthing thing, (laughs) Ali Krieger posted a photo of her at training with the caption, preparing for playoffs while in my Beyonce lemonade era. This is the best thing ever. I love it when someone comes out and just says, yes, what you're all thinking might have happened, happened. I got the shock of my life when I saw this, right? Because I was obsessed with this story. I was very interested in it. I woke up one morning and I thought, I just want to get a sense of who this Ali Craiger person is. I jump on her profile, look at her first post. It's been up for about 10 to 15 minutes (laughs) and she has that. And I'm like, oh my God, I felt like I'd struck gold. Did you follow? Believe it. Naturally, you'd follow. Surely. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, but also the comments that came oh. flooding in after that made it even juicier. This is exactly what we want from the people in the public eye. The comments section did not disappoint. Ali Krieger's brother, Kyle, did God's work. He commented a string of comments, including this. Love you and so proud of you. These hoes ain't loyal, but me and your fans are. Annabelle's clearly hearing all this for the first time. He then left another comment. This time, it was a direct quote of lyrics from Beyonce's song from Lemonade. It's called Don't Hurt Yourself. Now, Don't Hurt Yourself, famously written about Jay-Z cheating on her. The lyric Kyle commented was, This is your final warning. You know I give you life. If you try this shit again, you are going to lose your wife. Yeah, he then commented with a gif of Beyonce in that iconic yellow dress from the Hold Up music video. So not subtle, (laughs) to be honest. Lots of other fellow soccer stars commented on this post as well, showing their support to Ali. It also kind of turns out that this happened on Ashlyn's birthday, which was like a weird detail. And as we say, the comment section was on fire and it was really interesting. I mean, I appreciate it when people aren't subtle and they're saying exactly what they think. Yes. I can't lie, though, there's always a part of me that's like, fuck, when you've got such a wave of people getting behind one person and not behind another, even if they probably reportedly, allegedly made a big mistake. It Mm. is like a slightly uncomfortable narrative, very occasionally Mm. to me. It's hard to make sense of, right? Because sometimes I watch this stuff and I'm like, this is just downright entertaining. Like, I'm entertained. These people are telling me what's going on. The comments are really interesting. I'm having a good time. But then you sit with it and you're like, being on the receiving end of this, the number of public figures, particularly soccer stars that Ashlyn Harris would have played with and known for years, it would be incredibly hard mentally and emotionally to kind of be standing there as that tidal wave comes towards you. Yeah, and I don't even think the comments were necessarily a problem for me. People were just supporting Ali. It was actually the stuff that I was seeing on Twitter about Ashlyn. I'm not sure if you saw that, but people just dragging her then. Everything to do with her career. Her um, appearance. Her appearance. It, It got really nasty very, very quickly, which is where these stories kind of, 
lose me occasionally. Yeah. Like it's sort of like, oh gosh, we can have fun to a certain level and then we always kind of ruin the party for ourselves. Yeah. It's like, where is the line? Because Beyonce lyrics, I find mostly funny I and agree. entertaining. It's as soon as you start making comments about the other person's like identity, the way they present themselves to the world. It just gets so snarky so quickly. But like the comment section, it was a pretty good time. Yeah, well, yeah, I agree. Now, for what it's worth, Sophia's ex-husband Grant has made comment in all of this. His rep told people, Grant will always want the best for Sophia and is supportive of all that makes her happy and fulfilled. Interesting. I mean, it wasn't on my 2023 bingo card for Grant Hughes to have <laughs> such a comeback. Yeah, I was really impressed by how level-headed and kind this was. Unless he did do something. <laughs> And now he looks like the good guy. I don't know. We've done a 360 I and Grant, we're back know. skipping around your business. I'm just, I, there's one person that I'm most intrigued by in 2023. I think it's Grant Hughes. I'm so confused. Our third story, Rebecca Lou's bites back. The woman who had that affair with David Beckham delivers her scathing verdict on his saccharine Netflix doco. That's from Daily Mail. Yeah, this was a Daily Mail exclusive. Rebecca Luz, who is, of course, David Beckham's former assistant, who has long claimed that they had an affair back in 2003, watched the Beckham documentary while the Daily Mail kind of like ghosted her, right? So she sat down with the Daily Mail, I'm guessing pocketed some cash for this, watched the documentary with them, and then gave them all of her thoughts. The now 47-year-old Rebecca told Daily Mail, it's all poor me. David needs to take responsibility. He can say whatever he likes, of course, and I understand he has an image to preserve. But he is portraying himself as the victim and he's making me look like a liar, like I've made up these stories. He's indirectly suggesting that I am the one who has made Victoria suffer. Yeah, of the media coverage back in the early noughties, she said, yes, the stories were horrible, but they're true. He talks in the documentary about this ultimately being his private life, shutting it down. I think it's one thing to keep your private life to yourself it's another thing to mislead the public and so many people had forgotten about all of this so many people put all this behind them this whole affair the scandal and everything and he's dragged it back up again in a way that's affecting my reputation she went on the worst bit for me is that he says he didn't like seeing his wife suffer that bothered me because he's the one that caused the suffering he could have simply said that this was a tough time and he didn't want to talk about it if you don't want to take responsibility for things because of your family and your children, that's absolutely fine. And if he had just said it was a tough time for us and moved on, I wouldn't be here today. But he specifically made it look like my fault that he had nothing to do with this. Yeah, it is a pretty interesting interview. Rebecca says she actually still has many of the text messages between her and David from 20 years ago and that she carries them around because she feels she needs proof as like a self-protection thing. She said, when I went public all those years ago, I stuck precisely to facts and the truth because I was this 26-year-old with no support behind me going up against the most powerful couple in the world who have PR people and lawyers, who had everyone behind them. If I had got the slightest thing wrong, they would have got me. Mm, not to get weirdly sentimental about this, but I really appreciated the end of this piece with the Daily Mail, where she said, I was very sorry for what I had done and the way that I handled it. But life's biggest mistakes are the best lessons learned. Things happen for a reason. And now I have a wonderful life with my incredible husband and children. It turns out Rebecca Luz would not have met her husband if it weren't for this controversy and this scandal. Because of the profile she developed post-affair, 
She was invited onto a Dutch reality TV show called 71 Degrees North. It was on that show that she met the TV show's doctor. Reality shows all have to have a doctor. That was a man called Sven. Sven became her husband. They moved to Norway together. He's actually from Norway. They've been married for 14 years. They have two kids. And I don't know, I left it feeling kind of emotional <laughs> being like, Rebecca Luz, she's, Good on you. she's really happy. Aww. She's working as a yoga teacher. I'm glad for her that at least, I mean, she made a mistake. She openly admits she made a mistake when she slept with David Beckham, but it ended up kind of how it should have. Yeah. The only thing I would say about that is like, you are still coming back into the public eye to talk about this again. And they didn't mention her by name. She wasn't mentioned in the documentary. The story was sort of like newspapers were flashed up on the screen, but no one mentioned her. I don't feel it was a story that she needed to come back out and and say anything. She said, though, so the producers put up, they had Rebecca Lou's name involved in like post-production stuff, right? So, yeah, I agree with you. David and Victoria didn't say her name. She says she had heaps of people following her on Instagram. She started trending again on social media. This was made a conversation again. And if she wants to come out and say, oh, she said, I would have been happy, so happy for David to have not touched upon this time at all. But they so were I could go about to. There was no way they could do a documentary without it. I'm just saying, I don't, I'm not like passionate either side of this. I do just find it interesting where she's like, well, I'm just like happy to do my thing and live my life. And in Norway, it's like, you still gave this interview. Actions you speak still, louder than words. You still likely paid a lot of money for it. Yeah. You still, we're still sort of back to where we were 20 years ago in my yes. mind. Yeah, fair. That's I am I happy she's with Sven, the Norwegian yeah. doctor. <laughs> I totally agree. Our fourth story, Kim Kardashian wants men to wear skims too. That is from the Wall Street Journal. Skims is doing men's. Now, the four-year-old company announced on Tuesday that they are finally expanding beyond female clothing and into men's products. Now, this is not usually a story that would automatically make it onto the show, that a fashion line is expanding into men's and suddenly we want to talk about it. The reason we wanted to talk about it on the show, is because we found ourselves in the office talking not just about the male Skims line. We were not just about the Skims campaign to launch this and how amazing it was, but also just about Skims in general and how much of how at the centre of the zeitgeist they are right now. Yeah, 100%. Well, to give context to the listeners as well, Kim has enlisted three of the biggest sporting names in the world to be the faces of this launch. One of those names is Brazilian soccer legend Neymar. Like, I can't really think of a bigger name in international sport. I shudder to think the amount of money she had to pay Neymar to get this deal over the line. I also just think it's genius PR that in last week's episode of the Kardashians, she was at the soccer. She was speaking to soccer stars on FaceTime with her son. It did involve this like athlete, professional footballer vibe. And then all of a sudden, days later, she's working with these stars and they're the face of her campaign. She's just a marketing genius. Well, someone at Skims is, be it Kim Kardashian or the team in that company, which is a massive company right now. I think I've been quite blown away about how much this company has such a cult following and such a cool factor. I think the cool factor has really surprised me. Now, for context, the company is still privately held. It's been recently valued at about US $4 billion. They actually raised another $270 million US in their latest fundraising round in July, which 
is just so much money. And I think in this market where it is not easy for companies to be raising money, money is not given out as mm. much as it might have been a couple of years ago. It's it's pretty astounding. Now, all of this, the leap into menswear, the huge latest fundraising round has led to speculation that Skims may be heading for an IPO. They've also hired a new CFO from Nike. It just feels like this is a company that's gearing up to go public. And I think when you think about the fact that this is a company that's only four years old and it's a company that started with so much controversy, oh my God. it's a very interesting feat to look at. As we know, she launched it in 2019 and the brand was announced to market as a line of solution wear rather than shapewear that was called Kimono. Yes. Now, Kimono and of course, Kim faced waves of backlash from the public. Many people accused them of cultural appropriation given a kimono is a traditional Japanese garment. There were like change.org petitions with thousands of signatures urging the brand to rebrand. At one point, Kim Kardashian received that letter. Do you remember this? The mayor of Kyoto wrote a letter about this explaining why it was so important for the brand to change its name. And she said on an episode of Keeping Up With Kardashians, he was very thoughtful and very kindly explaining to me the meaning of kimono and why that's so important to their culture. Reading that letter, I felt an understanding. I definitely did not want to disrespect a culture. Yeah, so within six days of them announcing kimono and experiencing this backlash, the company announced straight away that the name would be changing and the launch was then delayed by over two months. On Instagram about this, Kim wrote at the time, when I announced the name of my shapewear line, I did so with the best intentions in mind. My brands and products are built with inclusivity and diversity at their core. After careful thought and consideration, I will be launching my solution wear brand under a new name. I will be in touch soon. Thank you for your understanding and support always. So she announced the brand in June for a launch in July. They had to very quickly say, oh, it's not kimono. They didn't relaunch with skims until September. Now, the other thing to note is that this would sink any other brand, mm. a start like this, because they had over 2 million <gasps> garments. Did they? With the kimono name. 2 million? 2 million garments. And what they were able to do, what they spent months doing, is working out how to rebrand and repurpose that stock. But it took them four months to find a solution that worked so that they put the skim's name over the kimono one. They ended up being able to release that stock and sell it in November, but it took ages and the stress of that. I don't know, 2 million garments, how much money they must have lost at the start. I mean, I'm not saying they shouldn't have. I think at the time, even to this day, it was a foolish name to call a company, but it just really surprises me looking back at how much this brand has been able to stay relevant and make money. Yeah. And I think so much of it comes down to actually just having a really bloody good product. I'm sitting here I wearing agree. my I recommended <laughs> a Skims bra on the podcast. That's how religious I almost feel about this brand. I'm wearing it right now. I tell all my friends to buy it. I think they've been able to dig themselves out of that hole and it was such a hole. Because they're selling a really bloody good product. I totally agree. And I think that's what money buys you, right? Mm -hmm. People might look at this and say, well, it's Kim Kardashian's brand. Of course, it's going to do well. Of course, it's going to be able to survive. And it's like, I I don't agree with that. Not all the Kardashian brands have a cool factor. No offense to Poosh and Good American, but like, come on. (laughs) Um, But money and investing it in the right way can get you a really, really solid product. And at the end of the day, consumers just want like a really, really good product. Mm. I think... 
We have to say as well, because I know we're going to get questions about this. This is not sponsored at all. We just like really good brands. Oh. I love talking about brands and I love talking about companies. I love it. And I it. think it will be fascinating to see when these guys decide to go public and how it goes because it's a pretty big thing for someone like Kim Kardashian to build a business this mammoth. Oh, $4 billion. It, yeah. The mind literally boggles. Our fifth story. Meryl Streep reveals she and her husband Don Gummer are separated and have been for six years. That's from the ABC. Full transparency with the listeners. You told me to get my little mitts off this story. I, I wasn't to research it. You wanted to research it because you'd seen something on Twitter that you want to bring to the table. Yeah, and I don't know if this is... <laughs> I, I've got to say, I might have spent, no joke, about two hours. <laughs> no, that I, I would say that might be an under... It might have been might three. Be <laughs> prepping this story because I was deep in biographies for Meryl Streep. <laughs> I found myself in corners of the internet. I'm trying to work out if the story is strong enough <laughs> to justify All the three the hours of research. But let's see how we go. So... First thing I've got to say from the top, right? What's with all the quiet separations? Because Amen. It, it turns out Meryl Streep hasn't been married for six years either. Her now, and Jada in a little on secret a, divorce, quiet quitting their marriages pact. Yeah, this one makes slightly more sense to me than Jada's <laughs> though. Now, on Saturday, a spokesperson for Meryl confirmed that her and her husband had separated six years ago. They married 45 years ago. People are speculating that they had to announce this on Saturday because of a blind item on Demois oh. that hinted towards a split. Now, Don and Meryl have four kids together. Henry, who's 43, Mammy, who's 40, Grace, 37, and Louisa, who's 32. So they have, like, quite an adult family. Mm. Lady Gossip actually had quite an interesting piece on this, writing that it's so likely that this wasn't like a deliberate Friday afternoon, Saturday morning drop of a divorce story to bury it in the news cycle. Lainey wrote, this isn't a typical Friday news dump about an A-list divorce. Meryl is not trying to make this go away because her marriage has never been something she's traded off. She works a lot, but she's one of the few actresses who doesn't sell. She doesn't have a perfume line and we don't know what her kitchen looks like. She has kept the personal details of her life completely separate from her career for decades and there's no indication that she wants that to change now. The story here is the leak. Who would run to Dumois to talk about a separation that happened six years ago and why? That's the question. Who sold Meryl Streep out? Such a good question. It is just random that after six years... I'm sure everyone in their immediate circle has known this. Why now? Lainey went on. There's two ways this could have happened. A publication like People got the scoop and before they were able to run it, it was leaked to Demois. Or someone went directly to Demois and other outlets followed. Either way, there seems like a rat. I mean, the last theory that Lainey Gossip posited about why this has come out after six years is that maybe one of them's actually in a relationship now uh. and probably have to disclose a separation, wanting to get that separation out if one of you is in a kissy-kissy entanglement. Kissy-kissy. <laughs> a lot, Jada. Kissy-kissy entanglement. Close now, cuddles. Serious cuddles. Exactly right. Now, the question I have for both of you, are you interested in the story of how these two got together? Yes, absolutely. Are you in need of some intrigue? Uh -huh. Always. So this is what I spent three hours on. I gave you <laughs> the this week's stuff, but the stuff from the history of Meryl Streep, that's what I've been working on. So to tell you the story about Meryl and Donald, you must first know about Meryl Streep's first love or one of her first big, big loves. His name was John Cazell, 
Ever heard of him? No. Negative. I mean, it also might be John Cazale, so I might say that wrong. <laughs> so she actually met him in 1976 on the set of a play called Measure for Measure. They fell in love very quickly. From everything I've read, it seemed like a very fast, mm-hmm. very intense and very passionate love affair. She was 27 and he was 40. And a year into that relationship, he was actually diagnosed with a very aggressive form of lung cancer. He was from all reports, a huge chain smoker, actually. Mm. And he got this very aggressive form of lung cancer. It had already spread to his bones by the time they had diagnosed it. Well, this would have been, what, the 70s? The 70s, exactly. He tried treatment, a lot of radiation, but the cancer was just too advanced. So these two weren't in a relationship for years and years and years before Meryl basically became his carer, right? She cared for him in their apartment. I read huge chunks of a biography of Meryl Streep by Michael Shulman, who, fun fact, Michael Shulman wrote that New Yorker profile on Kendall from Succession, but the actor's name, whose name has escaped me. Do you remember that thing that I've spoken about lots of times? So Michael Shulman wrote this biography of Meryl Streep. And... The great sense you get about Meryl Streep in this biography around this time is that she was just this, like, dogged force. Like, she was a force. There's this incredible passage in the book where Michael wrote, when friends visited, they saw not Meryl's weariness but her fortitude. And then a friend, Joe Papp, said she took care of him like there was nobody else on earth. She never betrayed him in his presence or out of his presence, never betrayed any notion that he would not survive. He knew he was dying the way a dying man knows it. He did die. He died on March 12, 1978, two years into their relationship. And she told Ladies Home Journal only a couple of years later, I didn't get over it. I didn't want to get over it. No matter what you do, the pain is always there in some recess of your mind and it affects everything that happens afterwards. Keep this quote in mind, by the way. I think you can assimilate the pain and go on without making an obsession of it. So after the memorial, she went to Canada for a couple of weeks just for some refuge. She returned home to New York to the apartment that she was sharing with John and it was about three weeks after he had died and this woman knocked on her door. It was John's ex-girlfriend and kicked her out of the apartment. What? I know. Said, this is actually my name on the deed. Get out. I know. So Meryl Streep had to pack up the entire apartment as quick as she possibly could, pack up all of John's stuff after her partner has just died. And in order to do that, her brother came and helped her and so did his friend, this guy called Donald. (gasps) Shut up. Yeah. So this is three Three weeks. weeks after John has died. Oh, it's quick. It's quick. They packed up the apartment. She had nowhere to live. And so... This guy, Donald, who was a sculptor, said, I'm about to go travelling on some, like, art grant. Do you want to just stay in my apartment? And she did. And so as he was travelling and she was living in his house, they started exchanging these letters. And Michael Shulman wrote in this biography, it had only been weeks since John died and here she was in another man's apartment, her mind pulled between her grief and the vitality that seared through Don's letters. Wow. Yeah. Now, when he got... But tell me if you have got any questions as we go. I'm just soaking in him. I'm loving this. I have thought that this is giving the vibe that we're like little children looking up at something. (laughs) Very interesting story. So... When he got back from travelling, when Donald got back, he actually built a little room for her in his loft so she could stay there. And she stayed and they actually married by September 1978, which was six months almost to the day after John died. Oh, my God. Yeah. Now, here's another passage about this wedding from Michael Shulman's book. 
I was worried at the time it was a rebound thing, says Robin Goodman, a friend of Meryl's, even though she'd encouraged the relationship. Meryl and Don had been dating just a few months. How could she possibly be sure? Was she really over John? Did it matter? Even the mother of the bride was a little confused. What is she thinking about? She asked friend Joe Papp at the wedding. Joe Papp sensed some strain between mother and daughter, despite the appearance of a good fellowship. He could see that Meryl had not recovered by any means from John's death, but he knew that she had a clear head because he had seen how she'd worked on a recent project. In a way, it all made sense. After everything that had happened, she was making her life stable again. She does the right thing for herself at the moment, he said. She is a shrewd analysis of herself and they got married and stayed together for 40 years wow yeah that After needs to be made into a movie that yeah. is and Meryl a- should play Meryl yeah. <laughs> yeah. isn't that fascinating and I can imagine people at the wedding being like what is this is she okay oh my god but having a friend to say well she is a shrewd analyst of herself she knows what she's doing and that quote of Meryl's where she said I didn't get over it no matter what you do, the pain is there, but it affects everything you do afterwards and everything that happens. You find a way to assimilate the pain without obsessing over it. Yeah, wow. Anyway, so Donald and her aren't together anymore. <laughs> but they had a beautiful life. They had a, a yeah. 40 years together, four kids, and that's the story of how she met wow. that man. Yeah. I want to have a wine with Meryl Streep, I've decided. So <laughs> would I. Imagine the story. I also just have such respect. No, no shame to anyone who shares the details of their personal life of course I mean but I'm, we do yeah, I'd have to be like uh, myself I just find it I think I find it fascinating the enigma element of people like Meryl Streep who can be A-listers can be famous upon famous without ever giving us anything about their private I didn't self. even know what her I didn't even know I didn't she, know was, she was married, married. Like, I, knew I didn't know she had Four kids, was it? I didn't know she had four kids. One of her kids is married to Mark Ronson. Yes. I that's think a Louisa? good fun fact. Louisa, the yeah. youngest, the 32-year-old. Well done, That Annabelle. is a fun fact. Yeah, thank you. Well <laughs> and that's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for bringing that to the table. I think three hours well spent. Thank, do you reckon? Absolutely. <laughs> and we are very intrigued by that. So thank you. <laughs> Guys, as we said, that's all we've got for today's show. If you want to support the show, click follow on Apple, follow on Spotify, follow wherever you get your podcasts. That is how other people find our show, and we appreciate it more than you know yeah annabelle lee thank you for audio editing this podcast episode excited for you with everybody has a secret yeah tomorrow make sure you guys listen to that get on board that's it that's it yeah see you tomorrow in the ehas feed bye Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.